Good morning. Welcome to Northside. So Pastor Josh, yeah, he's in um, Peru today, which is sort of interesting. Peru training pastors. Peru from, if you know your geography, from the Amazon side. He's in a, he's in a town of about 400,000 people named Iquitos, which is the highest, well, the largest city and the highest city which, that you can only reach by boat or plane. And he had to reach, again, had to reach it from the Amazon side. So he's there training pastors. It's nice to know that we're not just, because we're, we're working in the neighborhood, we're working in our workplaces to spread the gospel. We're working throughout the world through um, Sean Cole uh, representing the gospel in Nazareth. Um, and we have a big push for missions. And, and Josh is here. He went to Cuba last year to, to train pastors in Cuba. And now he's in, in, um, in Peru. So it's nice to see this kind of uh, gospel work go out so, so broadly. So today we're finishing up our psalm series. We've been working on psalms all summer. We'll finish it up today on Psalm 139. And I'll come back to that in a little bit, of course, spending the most of it. Um, next week, Josh will pick back up on our study in Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. So you can take a look at that and, and get up to speed with, um, with the story there. So why did I pick this psalm? When, when, when I love the psalms, as I've, I've said. Um, they really bring passion to the gospel of Jesus, and much more so than, say, the, the, the first five books of the Bible and, and the history. It gets, it's very interesting, but, but then with the, with the psalms, it brings real passion in. And so uh, when Josh asked me to preach in, um, in July... It, I knew right away I wanted to preach on Psalm 32. But when he asked me to preach again uh, for, for his stint in Peru, I thought, hmm, don't know, nothing's coming to mind uh, right away. So I did, which is something I don't usually do, I don't recommend it. I did the Bible roulette thing with it. So I, I, knew, the, I, I knew, of course, Psalms is in the middle, so I just, and I opened up to Psalm 139. It's a very fa- famous psalm. It's something I don't think I would have chosen um, because it is so common. Uh, but there I was, so I thought, well, let me look at it just from the perspective of preaching about it. And I saw a different structure than I'd ever seen before. It's, it's well known for the detailed aspect of our creation in our mother's womb, as, as particularly with verses um, uh, 13 through 16. But I saw another structure there that really struck, struck me, and I thought, there's something I can learn from this psalm. And that's important because I, I'm really not... Uh, it's, it's much more important. It's much more important for me to be learning something before I can teach it, right? So, that's, so that, was, that was good when I could see that structure. And the structure is this. We'll go over it in, in some detail today. It opens up with God's um, knowledge, his, his complete knowledge, his omniscience, his complete presence, his um, omnipresence, his creation, I mean his um, righteousness, and then his creation. So those three aspects of God's character, his um, omniscience, his omnipresence, his righteousness don't just stay up in heaven or, or some ethereal or spiritual place. They intersect reality in earth. And it, it's interesting because it ties back to Psalm 2 from last week where Josh was talking about Psalm 2 that starts with the nations are in a roar. The, the na- this was true 3,000 years ago. It's still true today. We just find out about it faster. The nations are in an uproar. God is in heaven pretty much laughing at the people that think they're in power. And then God comes to earth and he intersects our reality. And that's really the whole focus of Psalm 39. And that's why I love it so much. That, again, God's omnipresence, 
his um, uh, omniscience, his omnipresence, and his righteousness interact with us in the very real world where we, um, in, in the here and now. Doesn't just like stay up in heaven. So we're going to look at Psalm 139. I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to go through it um, section by section. So Psalm 139, um, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light around me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, and for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was, not, well, there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more than the sand. If I awake and I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malice, malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Very interesting that the psalm begins with search me. You've searched me and ends with a request to search me. So you see this a lot where where it's going to end, where it's going to begin, where it's going to end. So that's where we're going to come back to. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now this is interesting this um, business of God's omniscience. See, God knows who, the, who we really are. And he loves us anyway. That's probably the main takeaway from these verses 1 through 6 that we'll be looking at. God gets you. Now, no one else is going to get you. You might always want someone to get you. You might want your, your um, loving partner who's, who's been with you in, in some cases 47 or 49 years or longer. Um, But someone isn't going to completely get you because they're a different person. God's going to completely get you. And that's, um, in this world, is pretty important to know. We we put up this front. We all do, some more than others. But we all put up a front, not of who we are, but of who we want others to perceive us to be. Who we think is acceptable in this environment. And, And we put up that false front because we're afraid of being fully known. If we're fully known, we think, we won't be loved. If you, loved, if, if, if you knew the real me, you wouldn't love me. But see, here, here's where it breaks down with God because God knows the real you and he loves you anyway. With God, there is nothing hidden. So let's look at those verses, those first six verses. They should be up here. That's a clue to the sound deck. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. 
You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in you, behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain to it. Think about that. God knows your heart. Now, the other thing is a lot of these aspects that we'll be going through in Psalm 139, they have a positive and a negative side. When you think of it like from the negative side, it's like, so God knows your heart. Those dark places, those things you try to hide from yourself maybe, but definitely from others, God knows them. Think about a darkness in your heart. God knows about it. He loves you anyway. Actions, where I sit down and when I rise up, God knows your actions. He knows all the places you've been, all the websites, all the, everything. He knows where you've been. But where you've tried to hide it from other people, you haven't hidden it from God. God knows. Think about something that you should, in your actions, you should not have done or you should have done and you didn't do. God knows about it. He loves you anyway. Your thoughts. Yeah, the negative trajectory of your mind. Think about that. Think about some of the hurtful things you've thought about or done or even things that you feel negatively about yourself. God knows these dark thoughts. He loves you anyway. Habits. Think about the trajectory not just of your thoughts, but of your life, your habits. God knows them. He loves you anyway. And your words. And here's the one where I'm thinking, God, okay, so you know my words. You know where I've said something I shouldn't say. It's like, could you like have like clued me in that I shouldn't say that, right? But no, I just said it anyway, and then I had to had to do all kinds of uh, damage control for the things that I shouldn't have said. Yeah, but think about that. Think about the words that you've said that you shouldn't have said or the words that you didn't say that you should have said. God knows that, and he knows he loves you anyway. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. It's like, it's like I, um, I'm like constricted by God, and it's not about that. It's not about God cramping your style. It's God about setting boundaries because we all have boundaries. Whether you're, I mean, in a job, you've got boundaries of what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. Relationships have boundaries. We have boundaries in, in everywhere we go, right, that we need to, to honor. So think about those boundaries that you violated with other people, with God. Now, here's the problem with this psalm because I think probably a lot of us have thought about this before. Oh, God knows all those thoughts, all those actions, all those habits, And we take it negatively. But even in the negative, it's important to know that the positive is God still loves you. But there's a whole other positive side about it. Listen to it again. God knows your heart. Think about all the times you've been misunderstood, where your intentions were pure and right, and people didn't see that. They gave you bad motives. Not God. He knew your motives were good, and he validated those. Think about your actions. You did something. You thought, hey, this is going to be cool. They're going to love it. It shows that I care about them. And no, it went south. Whatever reason, they don't know your intentions. They, they may not even know your actions or the good that you did, but God knew, and God cares. Think about the thoughts. You wanted to do good. You, you wanted good for that person, and it just, for whatever reason, didn't come through. They never perceived it, but God knew it. Your habits. So one of the habits I've got, that uh, it's, it's sort of like playing the piano. I sat down with some teenagers. This has been years ago, and I played the piano, and they said, oh, I wish I could play like that. And I said, well, try practicing for 5,000 hours and see how it works for you, right? 
So, I mean, um, if you're a musician, you get that. It's like, it, for, to a non-musician, it looks like magic. Well, so when I was 19, one of the habits I started developing was every morning, I'm reading the scripture, I'm praying, I'm trying to become the man that God wants me to be. So if you do that day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, it's been 50-some years now, you start, it starts changing who you are. And so, but no one knew those, that, about that habit that I was developing. It It wasn't, didn't make, you know, it didn't make Twitter back in 1972. But God knew, right? God knew that. And the boundaries. Think of the boundaries that you've respected with God, you've respected with other people that no one ever knows. Because you typically don't know a boundary's been, been respected. You know when it's been crossed. But think of all the boundaries in relationships that you've honored that you didn't get credit for. So, and, and so that's why we get to verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain to it. So I can't understand, number one, how God sees all my negative aspects and loves me anyway. And he sees all the positive aspects and give me credit, not just in the here and now, but forever, that no one else would give me. So yeah, that blows my mind. Guess what? God just doesn't do it for David when he was writing this 3,000 years ago. He doesn't just do it for me. He just doesn't do it for anybody in this room. I don't even think he does it just for his followers. Let's say there's 2 billion Christians. I think he does it for everybody. That blows my mind. So the takeaway from this first segment is God gets you. God knows you fully, and he appreciates you fully. The next verses. So we've, we've covered, that's the, the omniscience. God knows everything. And the next part, God's omnipresence. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I send to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. That's the word for hell. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I, and so I just stop there. I'm going to come back to the darkness part because that's really a separate segment. So this sort of sounds like the God stalker. It's like, this is the God you can't get away from. And I don't think that's really the flavor that David means to send, right? It's like, this is the God. Well, yeah, you can't get away from him. By the way, if you're running from God, like the Apostle Paul was running from God, uh, there was a time in my life where I was running from God. Stop, because you can't outrun him. You, you can't get away from him. He might take you to the, to the depths of your, of your soul where you think the, the end of your life is coming or the end of yourself or the end of your addiction or the end of your, of your career, whatever. If you're running from God, stop running. But I don't think this is about God the stalker. I think it's about God's presence who's always with us. And and again, think about the things, the the places you've gone that you shouldn't go. Think about the, uh, that's again on the negative side. But the good news about it is even if it's a negative side, it's like I shouldn't have gotten down this path. And uh, it's all about your next decision. And in that moment that it's your next decision, Guess who's with you there? May not be any friends, may not be any spouse or any pastors, but the Holy Spirit is there with you to help you make that next decision, right? To make that decision right in all situations. So whatever you face, whatever mess you get yourself into, wherever place you go that you shouldn't have gone, remember God is there with you. He's actually there before you. That's sort of the amazing thing about his omnipresence. He's like, God isn't like, there with you. He's with you, but he's before you. It, it's it's mind-blowing. But the other thing is, again, not just from a negative perspective, 
but from a positive perspective. I was talking with a friend of mine a few years ago. His um, teenage son was driving him crazy, right? Well, there's a surprise. So the, the teenage son had blurted something crazy out, like disrespectful to the mom or whatever. And, uh, and my friend didn't know how to handle it. He didn't, he didn't want to get abusive with his son, but he wanted, to, you know, he wanted to make a clear line that this is unacceptable. And so I said, so, um, so it caught you by surprise when he said that. Yeah, it did. I just didn't know what to respond. I said, so, do you think... I asked the stupid questions. Jesus does this too. I said, so, do you think it caught God by surprise? <laughs> well, of course, the answer is no. It didn't catch God by surprise. And see, this is where... Um, I mean, there are certain advantages to living the Christian life. Don't become a Christian. Don't follow Jesus because of the advantages. But there are some advantages, and this is one of them. God is our secret, I hate to say weapon, but he's our secret advantage. You get in a situation, you get in a tough conversation, someone says something out of the blue, you didn't see that one coming. You get in a job interview, you get a question, didn't see that coming. You get in a, in a tough work situation, didn't see that coming. Guess what? God saw it coming. And when you get in those moments, assume that God is there with you. Assume God, you, you know, intellectually God didn't get surprised by that. You may have been, maybe you shouldn't have been, maybe God tried to, whatever, right? But in that moment that you're surprised, God's not surprised. In that moment where you don't know what to do next or say next, God does. So depend on his support. Depend on that. And look to that. So there's a takeaway number one. God gets you. He appreciates you. He knows you fully and appreciates you fully. Takeaway number two. God is with you. God is with you in any and all circumstances. Then the light. Verses 11 and 12. So we already talked about like the physical places. Heaven, hell, which could be like a, a depressed place or or, you know, the wrong store or, or the wrong, wrong um, group that you're with. Verse 11 is more on the emotional, spiritual side. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me be night, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Now, light is, in the scripture, pretty much synonymous with the presence of God. So, even when we're going through our dark times, even if there's darkness in your heart, darkness in your soul, no darkness with God. No darkness with God. That doesn't, uh, and, and again, if you're going through a tough time through, through something you, you've done or, or just something you're experiencing because of your biochemistry, whatever, God is with you in that moment. God is ready to bring light. If you're in a dark conversation with somebody, dark, God is with you to bring light to that. And it's, it's interesting that darkness is the absence of light, not vice versa. This is why uh, a candle can be, seem not very powerful, but you turn all the lights off and candle is the only thing in a room like this and it actually provides an amazing amount of light because darkness is the absence of light. So, and, and by the way, another, another little like biblical fact is like creating light is God's first action. Let there be light. Let there be light. And he's still bringing light to people, still bringing light to your heart, to your soul. So here's um, 
Takeaway number three, God is for you. God is for you. No darkness can overpower the light of God's presence. Now we get to the part of Psalm 139 that is more well-known, the part about our creation. Because these three aspects, his um, omniscience, his omnipresence, his, his righteousness, as talked about with the light, these aren't just arbitrary, isolated in, in the great never that we can't understand. They actually intersect reality on earth in the creation of a human being. And that's what, that's what David um, describes here. For you, uh, verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together. I got to say, okay, we have some knitters here. So I want to hear some shout outs for the knitters because they get this, right? You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written of me, written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Now, one of the things I learned about this psalm as I was preparing for today was there's a... So when you go back onto verses 11 and 12, going through some dark times, thinking about, well, there's there darkness in my heart. Is God really here? Guess what? God was with you in the darkness from the moment of your creation. And that's what the connection that I saw as I was preparing between verses 13 and 16. I don't have to, don't have to speculate about, will God be with me in a dark time? Because God was already with me in the dark time as I was being created. There's, no, there's not much light inside of a mother's uh, uterus, right? So there, there, it was all happening. God was creating me very carefully. I love the metaphor of knitting. Again, I'm not a knitter. I quilt, but I don't knit or crochet. But um, I've, I've watched people that... Um, Mary does a lot of crocheting, so I've watched her. And, and so I know that the, the knitting business is, you know, you have to be like, get it right. Or if you get it wrong, you rip it out and do it again. And, and so to the... To the unskilled person it looks like you know just well that's the person that's been doing it right so but they're paying great attention to the the length of the stitches and and all that and because if it's wrong they're going to get it right uh, they're going to rip it out and get it right so this business about God caring very exactly for the creation of you from the very beginning this is sort of um, important it it shows that God's God's um omniscience is his omnipresence and his righteousness come together because he's not satisfied with that he doesn't need he's not like incomplete but he wants to see what happens when he actually creates a human being and he gives each one of us that kind of value that and and the, the other thing about creation so when you think about us being created you being created it's like the creation always points to the creator so it points to his detailed intention, his careful crafting of each one of us. And that's what makes the message personal and God being intentional. In fact, not just even in in creating us as physical beings, which would have been enough, but I don't think we'd really appreciated it. In Genesis, it talks about how we are breathed in the breath of life. So it wasn't just enough for us to be alive God wanted us to be a spiritual being, spiritually alive. And in John, he gets even more specific, talking about those. He didn't just like bring us life and give us 
life on earth. He gives us eternal life and life to the fullness, and he gives us rights. Now, how can we possibly have rights as a creation? I mean, have you ever created anything? A, a table or a vase or, you know, a, a room, whatever, whatever, you, whatever you've created, a, a work of art? Have you ever given that, that, that creation power over you? Well, that's nuts, but God does it. John 1, verses 12 and 13 says, But as many as received him, being Jesus, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So when you put that together with Psalm 139, it's like this weaving together just isn't about the in my mother's womb, isn't just about the mechanics of how, how babies are made, right, which, which we pretty much all know. It, but it's about something deeper, about something further, not, and breathing in the breath of life. And then when we accept Jesus, when we're restored to God, that gives us the right to become sons and daughters of God. Wow. God's pretty amazing in what, in what, he, give, what he will do for us. And it doesn't stop there. And this is, this is when, now David's mind starts to get really blown. It starts to get really blown. Verses, 12, uh, verses uh, 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, then they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. So it's like verses 1 through 16. God's omniscience, his omnipresence, his righteousness, his creation of us. And when you think of that all coming together, by the way, David isn't speaking here, although he could have like, you know, if the earth is just like, we're, we're, we're not like straight on, right? We're, we're at an angle rotating around the sun, a little bit, a little bit different an angle. Everything messes up a little bit closer to the sun. Everything fries, everything a little bit further. Everything freezes. Everything is about relationship. And so this creation that that we are surrounded with with tons and tons of detail happens in us and then it's like no wonder my mind is blown how precious to me are your thoughts O god how vast is the sum of them if i would count them they are more than the sand have you ever counted them i mean i i did this once when i was a couple years into my um commitment to god i was about 15 and I just laid there on my bed for a while, and it, it, it's unusual for me to lay very long and, and not reach an unconscious stage. But I just laid there for like 30, 40 minutes, and I just like thanked God for everything. You know, everything from my messed up family situation to the fact that I was glad we weren't homeless at this point, that um, my dad actually did have a job, uh, you know, that I mean, I, everything all the way down to like my toothbrush and, and um, relations, everything. And it was just like, it was, it was humbling to me to just stop and think about all the things I had to be thankful for because nothing in our world is designed that way right our world every every ad you see is designed to teach you what you don't have and how you can't be happy without you know the latest greatest whatever right but to stop and think just how blessed you are even when you are blessed with a challenge in life like a, a tough time you're going through or a physical or a mental problem you're going through or, or a financial issue. Just, that matter of fact, uh, I, I, I'm writing these, I write, send out these texts every day. I, I sent out one 
on August 1st, just because it was the first of the month, about how, how just pay the bills. This is my favorite time of the month. And I tell this to people every now and then, and they think it's like sarcasm. It's not. It's not. Number one, um, we have always lived within our means, so I've always been, we've always been able to pay the bills, but sometimes it, you know, sometimes we didn't have any gasoline to drive for the last 10 days of the month, but, but we made it from month to month. So I, I, I haven't lost the, the um, thankfulness that, that there is um, enough to pay the bills. And also, it, it just, it's, it's a good sense in life to be able to, to, um, to pay your debts. And so those are the things a lot of people wouldn't like be happy about, right? But it's, it's something to be thankful for because not everybody can do that. So that's the takeaway. So we take away from this area, both from our creation and from the thanks is that God gives you purpose. I'm sorry, thank um, the takeaway. So I got to go over them again because God gets you. God is with you. God is for you. Now, this takeaway is almost the same, but completely different. God is for you. God is for you. It's one of the things I learned from promise keepers back in the day. God is, God gets you. God's with you. God is for you. And God is for you. Now he so that all sort of makes sense. The omnipotent, the omniscience, the omnipresence, the the righteousness, the creation, and the detailed creation, and the love. Thanks God, that all makes sense. It all flows. And then David seems to take a left turn. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. This is verse nineteen through twenty-two. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. I have no idea if uh, David read it that dramatically. But it sort of takes a weird turn. It's like all this great powers of God, great aspects of creation. And it's like, your enemies, like, cut them off, like, kill them, everybody. It's like... Okay, a um, couple of things about this, because I don't think it's a left turn. I think it's part of the pattern of David's writings here. And, the, and first of all, it's important to know, this came up in Psalm 21 a couple weeks ago, Pastor Josh was pointing out, there is, we have enemies. God has enemies. Now, it, we don't, we're, we're not a dualistic faith that thinking, well, I don't know, if God's fighting against Satan, and, and I don't know who's going to win, let's see. No, we know it's already, the battle's already been won. Jesus already won it uh, with his uh, life, death, and resurrection. But we still see some of the collateral issues happening through, through until Jesus comes again. Uh, but there is a battle. There is an enemy of your soul. There's someone that hates you. I mean, I've, I, I've, I could count several times the, time that, the times that um, someone's tried to take me out physically. I mean, not like, you know, not like an enemy shooting me, except... Ernie, Rod, uh, Ernie Roberts once wanted to beat me up because I talked about Jesus in school. But beyond that, no, right? It was an accident or it was a family dysfunction or something that tried to take me out on physically or emotionally, right? And I'm sure there are plenty of times that I don't know about where I was almost taken out. So there's that. I have enemies. God has enemies. Matter of fact, if you've ever played a, 
have ever played a video game or seen any kind of or studied any kind of war strategy is like um, a, a common war strategy is they're going to go after the person they're going to go after the resource of their enemy that's the most critical so Satan's not going to give a flying flip about you if you're not doing anything. But the moment you start to think, oh, I think maybe I'll say something for God. I think I could do this. That's when those doubts are going to come. That's when you're going to get attacked. But it's beyond that, I think. So there is a spiritual warfare aspect here, but it, it's even beyond that. And if, because when I was looking at the pattern, it's like, okay, so we've got God in his knowledge, God in his presence, God in his righteousness, God creating me, me thanking God. It's all been on the receiving end. Now David starts to identify with God. Because when you identify with someone, when you say, if, if, if so-and-so, he's my friend, and so if, if you're going to hurt him, you're, you're going to have to go through me. Now David's starting to identify with God. It's not just all about David receiving all this stuff. Now David, David's feeling, um, he's feeling connected to God in the sense that he's, putting his line, his life on the line with God's, his reputation with God. Now, maybe that sounds funny, but I'll tell you, for people that I've tried to reach, and, and you know, I want to be there for them and support them, and I'm thinking, was, this was awful. I thought, God, I hope you show up for him. See, that's, that's how, how heresy and awful thinking um, sneaks in. But this, because God's going to show up in a way that I never would, of course. That's why he's God and I'm John. But this idea that I, I identify with God and that his reputation is my reputation. That's what David is saying here. And by the way, my reputation is his reputation. So that's pretty risky on God's part. That's a whole other sermon. Then David takes it even further. Finally, he gets back to the beginning. Verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Another reading of that grievous is, see if there's any way of pain in me. So at the beginning, it's sort of a fact. God has searched me and known me. And I don't think God does incomplete stuff. So I think he's done that completely. So David isn't saying necessarily there's more for God to learn. But there's one, there's more for David to learn. And David's opening up now. David's not just identifying with God. He's not just, so first several verses, first 18 verses, he's receiving from God, thanking God, honoring God. Then he connects with God in verses 19 through 22. And there's in verses 23 through 24, now he's opening up to God. This is tough. This is tough. Because when you open up to God, he's going to find some stuff in there. He's going to show you some stuff that needs to be fixed. Stuff you've done wrong. Stuff that's been done to you. And it's, it's you see, this again, this is not natural. We want to we hide it. We want to we isolate it. We want to wall it off so we never have to think about it again. I've had some memories from my childhood, and I've got a really good memory going back to when I was two and, and really clear from when I was four, but there were some memories that, even though I was eight or nine and should have remembered him, I had sealed him off. My, my heart couldn't handle it, right? God had to bring that back out. Jesus talks about this in Matthew. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Many people misinterpret this as saying, don't judge, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. 
Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, Jesus, of course, is very, like, ophthalmologically correct, right? If you've got a little speck near your eye, it's like it blocks your whole vision. Um, But when you get it out, it's like, I can't believe that kept me from seeing. But that happens on an emotional and spiritual and interpersonal level. It's called um, projection. So we are, like, exempt from seeing... um, mistakes and weaknesses in ourselves so we project them on other people this is why if you're if you're watching as an interested third party you'll see the person that you know gossips but they talk about the other people that gossip you know this person does mean things to other people and they talk about all the mean things that are done to them it's because not because they're stupid or bad it's because as humans we tend to project our faults into somebody else. There, our, our minds will let us see it perfectly fine. Which, so that's, that's one of the ways we can learn from our enemies as sort of an aside is if something really bugs you about somebody else, ask yourself, ask God, is this in me? But, but this is an important part. It's like opening up your heart where God can heal. Again, we don't want to do this. I mean, we're like programmed not to do it. We want to hide because we think like from a human level, what happens if someone finds out that I, you know, went to that website I shouldn't go to or thought that thought I shouldn't have. We know if someone finds out about that, if you're running, you know, if you're running for political office, they find out they're going to exploit everything, right? That's sort of what we think in, in, um, in our interpersonal lives. But God doesn't do that. You open up to God and he will deal with it. Sometimes it doesn't need, sometimes it's something you've done that you need to make amends for. Sometimes it's something God's just going to heal you right where you are. But this is the point that David is making now. He's opening himself up. Search me, God. I know there's stuff in there. We know from David's life there was some serious stuff in there that, that didn't just affect David's life. It affected his, his family and, his, and the kingdom. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there's any way in pain, any way of pain in me. So there we have it. God's omniscience. He knows everything. God's omnipresence. He's everywhere. God's righteousness. He always brings light. God's creation. Our thanks. Our identification with God. And God searching us. But that's not the end. Because if we end it there, we're still on this earth. That's all we ever get. So David ends it a thousand years before the salvation of humanity comes with a view towards the salvation of humanity and lead me in the everlasting way. Just like in Psalm 2 where the nations were in uproar, God's laughing from heaven at the men thinking that they're in power and then the sun comes and we're supposed to pay homage to the sun and honor him. It's like Jesus is, is... the God of all creation. The question is, will you make him your God? Now, eventually, at some point in history, that point becomes moot. But at this point, we're allowed to choose, will we accept Jesus? Will we open up to God? Will we open up to the power of his life and death and resurrection? 
Or will we close and think, oh, we got this just fine. I'm, I'm crashing and burning, but I'll be fine on my own. I, I've, I've got this under a controlled burn kind of thing. Or will we open up and say, Jesus, this life's a mess. I'm, I, I'm, I'm hurting in every way. And I'm hurting in ways I don't even know. I can't even understand yet. Jesus will bridge that gap. And that's where you, how we bridge the gap from where we are today with where your heart is, where your words are, where your actions are, and where God wants you to be. That bridges with the faith that Jesus has come and died and risen again so that you can be known fully and loved fully for all time. Will you take him up on that offer? I challenge you this week, look at, read verses 23 and 24 every day. You're actually, Pastor Josh gave you the assignment of of the whole psalm, that's good too, but focus on verses 23 and 24. Memorize these verses. Make them a life calling for you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any way of pain in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Let me tell you, I know by experience God can be trusted with your deepest wounds and your deepest sins. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you so much for your knowledge and your presence and your righteousness and your care in the creation of each one of us. It does blow our minds, God. May it never stop blowing our minds. Let us identify with you. Keep us safe from our enemies, God, and help us to open our hearts as you heal us in every way and in every place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand with us as we sing one more time.